guys. Well, amen. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, we appreciate being reminded, all of us, not just the children, of uh, what God has given us uh, to help us faithfully follow Jesus. Well, you may be thinking, huh, I didn't know Aaron was preaching this morning. Uh, don't worry, because you're only 12 hours behind me. And uh, I got a text last night from Pastor Tim, uh, who is not here this morning, obviously, uh, and is not able to preach uh, because he is sick. So we definitely will need to pray for him. Uh, so I am here instead. Um, and, and I'll tell you, this is not the first time that this has happened. Uh, it happened, I think, once before, maybe more, I don't remember, uh, and <clears throat> Pastor Tim reminded me, uh, I, as a pastor, that you must be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. So here I am, uh, and I get to preach this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity, not necessarily thankful for the circumstances that brought about this opportunity, uh, but uh, I am indeed thankful to, to open God's Word uh, for us this morning. Before we do so, um, not only am I preaching for Pastor Tim, I'm, I'm giving some announcements for Pastor Tim. Uh, he wanted us to know about the putt-putt event this evening. Um, I had some questions about it because I wasn't really sure uh, what it was going to be like. Apparently there's going to be multiple courses uh, and it's going to range from easy to difficult, uh, so you can come on out and decide which course you would like to try. It's going to be starting tonight at 6 o'clock here at the church, and he does hope to make it to that, uh, so you can pray that that would indeed be the case. But we can gather here this evening again uh, to just enjoy one another's company uh, and uh, hopefully not get too angry golfing. Uh, because that tends to happen <laughs> when you golf. Um, also, I wanted to take the opportunity to, to share a little bit about home groups uh, before we jump into anything this morning. Here at Big Woods, one of the ways that, that we seek to keep our growing body small is through home groups. So home groups, then, are, are small groups of people meeting in homes, encouraging one another in their walk with Christ by talking about the Bible and praying for one another. This year we're making an exciting change, something that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, instead of meeting every week what, like we had in the past, we are going to be meeting every other week, uh, which I think will uh, free up time in our schedules a little bit more to make the home groups even that much more meaningful. We plan to start meeting the week of September the 12th, and we will have sign-ups available starting next Sunday. Uh, so I just wanted to give you a little bit of time to think about uh, what night of the week would be best for you to be involved with a home group. Secondly, along with that but separate from it, um, starting on September the 22nd, uh, being that we're only meeting every other week with home groups, uh, it frees up Wednesday evenings for us to gather for a prayer service. 
So we are going to be starting Wednesday, September the 22nd, a Wednesday evening prayer gathering. It's going to start at 6.30. We will worship through song, have a brief devotional, and then spend time praying for the people and the needs within our body. At our first meeting, we plan to have a potluck from 5.30 to 6.30, so you can bring a dish to share uh, and enjoy table fellowship with one another first. Uh, And again, it's going to be every other Wednesday, and I, I just think it's going to be one of the ways that we can bear one another's burdens as we seek to faithfully follow Jesus together. Be on the lookout for a video later, I think later today, that will have a little bit more information about these things. Uh, And if you have any questions, uh, please, please feel free uh, to ask. One other thing before we pray, uh, this is an answer to prayer that I wanted to make you aware of. Uh, You might remember a few weeks ago, Seth and Emily were here, uh, and they asked that we would pray for them in their process of getting visas and being able to get back into country. Uh, And they left on Friday and have made it back safely. The visas are processed and everything, so Seth, Emily, and the boys are back, and they are, uh, I'm sure, eager to get back into the ministry that God has called them to there. Um, And so we are thankful that, that God has answered Uh, that prayer in that way uh, and allowed them to uh, get back to what God has called them to in the Middle East. So, that's enough as far as announcements go. Uh, Given the circumstances of this morning, I think we we should pray together. And as we're praying together, I would really appreciate... Uh, if you would not only just listen to me, I mean, you can listen, that's fine, but, but please pray for me as well uh, and help. Uh, I, I, I'm in need of God's help uh, for uh, this morning as I preach and would appreciate if you would um, go to the Lord on my behalf. So let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful to gather here this morning. We're so thankful that we can open your word together, uh, that we have your Holy Spirit who helps us understand it, but then also helps us to apply it as we go from this place. And we ask that you would do exactly that here this morning. Um, Give us ears to hear as we open your word, and we pray that uh, you would speak to us, that you would um, allow us to know um, more about who you are so that we can uh, worship you more truly and love you more deeply. We pray that you would be with Pastor Tim as he is is sick and is recovering. We ask that you would allow it to be a speedy process, and that he would uh, feel better even now as we are praying for him. Uh, And we ask that uh, you would give him strength and energy and and allow him uh, to uh, join us this evening for our putt-putt event. Father, we are, again, just so thankful. And um, we're thankful for the way that you answered our prayers on behalf of Seth and Emily. Uh, We pray that you would be with them as they uh, get back into ministry, uh, that you would be with Seth as he teaches, and and, uh, Emily as as she teaches in the home as well. Uh, And we just pray for uh, relationships for them, that they would be able to, to speak of who you are to those around them, and that you would help them to be faithful to all that you have called them to. We ask now that you would 
open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law and that you would help us to understand your word uh, and to seek to live according to it in the power of your spirit. We love you, God. We praise you and thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his classic work, Knowing God, reveals the importance of the doctrine of adoption when he says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. His contention is that everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. He says simply this, that father is the Christian name for God. Now, I I find myself struck by Packer's words. So much so that that that's exactly what I would like for us to look at this morning. Specifically, I want to look at what took place to give Christians the privilege of calling God our Father. Before I go any further with that, though, I do want to acknowledge that that this concept may be difficult for some of you here this morning because of the experience that you have had with your earthly father. Now, I don't don't know most of your parents, and, and I don't know what you went through growing up in your home, but I'm sure that there are many here this morning who experienced differing levels of abuse or injustice at the hands of a father or a father figure. But hear me when I say that that is a sinful distortion of what is meant to be pictured by our earthly fathers. There is no injustice in our heavenly father. And I think when when understood rightly, no matter what understanding you, you have of fatherhood, When we see God as our Father, it is an amazing reality that that I think changes our lives, and it's something that we should cling to. So at this point, you may be wondering, why why is this important? Why does this matter? And I'm going to front load this. It's a good thing to wonder, and I think it's important because you and I probably take for granted the ability that we have to know God and call Him Father. We pray often to the Father, but, but I think oftentimes our prayers are just, are just started with the word Father instead of actually thinking about who it is that we are addressing as our Father. Knowing God as Father personally, was not something that anyone in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant ever experienced. So so what took place that now enables us as Christians to know God as our Father? Uh, There's there's a, a guy with a really hard name to pronounce. I'll just leave it at that. He says, We can say quite definitely 
that there is no analogy at all in the whole literature of Jewish prayer for God being addressed as Abba, that is, Father. Now, now he looked up all of the different prayers that, that are recorded in Scripture and all of the existing notes from, from temple services and found that no one related to God as Father. This personal and intimate title of address comes only after the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sent to this earth to complete the work of salvation, and then the Spirit is sent to apply that work to Christians. Only after that fact can we know God as Father. And so the new covenant way of addressing and relating to God was merely foreshadowed in the Old Testament. But the individual adoption that you and I experience today was not possible until the Son and Spirit were sent by the Father to bring about the promised redemption. And it's because the true Son, Jesus, is sent so that by faith we can be adopted as children of God. And the Spirit then applies this this nature of childhood that we, we gain through Christ so that we are able to cry out to God as Father. You can turn with me now to Galatians chapter 4. It's where we will spend our time in Scripture this morning. I want to look at Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. And while you get there, I want to wet my whistle. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. My main point for this morning, I think, is simple, and I've I've hinted at it already, is this. It was necessary for the Son and the Spirit to be sent to this earth to accomplish the work of redemption for God to be known as Father. So, so it was necessary for, for the Father to send the Son and the Spirit to do the work of redemption, accomplish the work that He promised in the Old Testament to do, so that we could know God as Father. So let's walk through this text and, and draw out that truth and ask how our lives should change because of it. First, we're going to look at the necessity of the sending of the Son. Look at me with verse Look at verse 4 with me. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. 
Paul starts with a phrase that, that indicates that one era has ended and a new one has begun. It's kind of like what Rafiki says to Simba as he ascends Pride Rock. Yes, I'm talking about the Lion King. We watch it often at our house. Rafiki says to Simba at the end of the movie, sorry, spoiler alert, all of this. Rafiki says, It is time. As if to say that Scar's reign has ended and the new era of Simba's reign has begun. This is what is meant by the expression, the fullness of time has come. God has appointed salvation and it is here. And what is it exactly that that brings that salvation? If we keep reading, we find out. It says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What makes salvation possible is Jesus, who is God's Son, taking on flesh. We already read from from Philippians chapter 2 this morning, where, where Jesus empties himself, taking on the form of a servant. And this is the process of him taking on flesh. So note a few things from Galatians chapter 4 to, to, to understand this a little bit better. When Paul says God here, when he, when he uses the word God, in Greek it's theos, he is referring to the Father. We can see that in the text because the one who is sending has a son, so that makes him a father. So the father sent forth his son. And, and so we should ask, well, well, what was this son like? It says he was born of woman and born under the law. These two statements are basically saying the same thing. The son who is sent is like the ones to whom he is sent. He, he has the same flesh and blood. And he's born under the same Jewish law that the, that the hearers of this letter of Galatians would have been under. In other words, Jesus is truly man in every sense. All that to say, as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 15, he is like us in every way, yet without sin. So because he is sent and he is like us, he is able to accomplish the work of salvation for us. I I think we see the same thing taught in John 3.16, a verse you're probably very familiar with. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Again, here God is referring to the Father. So the Father gives His Son so that those who would believe would have eternal life. Jesus is sent to this earth to accomplish the work of salvation. And the fact that that Jesus comes to this earth is important at more than just Christmas because it's by His coming that the work of salvation is accomplished. In other words, it's necessary For Jesus to take on flesh to accomplish the work of redemption. In verse 5 then, we see why Jesus was sent. And again, it's very similar to the language of John 3.16. So let's read verses 4 and 5 again. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. What we see in verse 5 is, is a purpose statement. The Father sends the Son for the purpose of redemption. This means that Jesus was sent to redeem those under the law and also to bring them into God's family. In this, we see that, that those who were formerly slaves are made sons. They are made children of God through the work of Christ. One commentator notes of this that, that being welcomed into God's family is beyond all human capabilities and is only possible within the new relationship with God given by the Son. And I think that this is a completely different way of thinking than what the Pharisees and Sadducees had in mind in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. John the Baptist comes on the scene and, and he says to them, And do not presume to say for yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. What John the Baptist and Paul are getting at here is that getting into God's family is not a matter of physical descent. It's not about having Abraham as our father physically. It's about spiritual rebirth. And the only thing that could have brought this about is the sending of the Son who is like us in every way, yet without sin. Because by His work, we are redeemed. When someone experiences redemption, their, their debt is paid. And that, that would be pretty good, right? If, if the debt of sin was taken care of on our behalf. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with simply taking care of the debt that our sin has incurred. Not only are our debts paid, we are welcomed into his family by adoption. Only Jesus, who is the Son of God by nature, could make us God's children by faith. Now, you've, you've heard Pastor Tim talk about this in, in different language before, because he says things like, God has no grandchildren. And, and you can't have this redemption that, that we're talking about here. You can't have the effects of the work of Christ applied to you by someone else's faith. It must be yours. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees thought that they were good because of Abraham's faith. But Abraham's faith won't work for anyone other than Abraham. You and I need our own faith. We need to trust the work that Christ has done if we are to expect, uh, if, if we are going to be God's children. But how then are we made God's children? Which leads us to our second point. The necessity of the sending of the Spirit. Look at verse 6 with me. It says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is an amazing reality. 
Just, just simply taking this verse in and of itself should cause us to well up with worship. We can call the creator of the universe Father. This, this, this is the inheritance that we gain when we are brought into God's family. We are given the Spirit to live within us. And so we have God, the third person of the Trinity, living in us to empower us to live faithfully. Daniel already told us about that this morning. He is the helper. He is the one who, who, who comes alongside and aids us in following Jesus faithfully. But not only that, being in the family of God gives us access to all the blessings of the family of God. The, the primary blessing that we see in this text is that we can cry out to God as Abba Father. We're given access to the family dinner table to feast on the blessings that we have been given through Christ. But why, why is it a big deal then that, that we can call God Father? In the Old Testament, God is, is in some way referred as a father 14 times. But it's, but it's always in relation to the nation of Israel. It's never in a relational sense to a specific person. That is to say that, that there's no one in the Old Testament who would have been able to pray to God as their father. No one personally knew God as their father. Through, through the 39 books of the Old Testament, 14 times is, is not a lot. And, and even so, in those 14 times, it's not at all the experience that we have because of the work of Christ. In the New Testament, uh, one commentator counted up all of these times and counted that Jesus calls God Father uh, four times in Mark, 15 times in Luke, 42 in Matthew, okay, getting up there, and 109 times in John. That's a total of 170 times. I think my math is correct. This, this, this is simply just showing that, that Jesus so frequently calls God Father because it's so natural to Him, but it is that exact thing that is given to us by faith. That, that when we are given the Spirit and adopted into God's family, what is natural to Jesus becomes our inheritance. That we are able to call God Father. This is what Jesus teaches His disciples when, when He teaches them to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Listen, just listen to how naturally Jesus refers to God as his Father, and then how he tells us to do the same. In Matthew 6, he says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father, who sees you in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And, and it goes on, where, where Jesus is, is continuing to say, cry out to your Father. Jesus is the Son of God who brings us into God's family so that we can pray to our Father in heaven exactly the same way that He prays. You can read John 17, and and He's discussing, He's praying, and He continually refers to my Father. But what's amazing is that, that what Jesus does, we can do as well. What's natural to Jesus is given to us by the Spirit who lives in us, allowing us to know God as our Father. Verse 7 then brings this to completion. Everybody look at verse 7. It says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Outside of Christ, we are all slaves to sin. But in Christ, we are members of God's family. We, we're, in a sense, we're added to the will. We get the inheritance that Jesus gets. And, and what a transformation it is that has taken place. It's, it's the ultimate rags to riches. As God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This transfer required... Jesus coming to this earth, taking on flesh, dying on the cross, rising to life. And it required the Spirit being sent to believers to bring them into God's family. Though we were once slaves, by faith, we are now given the family name. And this is is possible because Jesus has always been the Son of God. And so he is able to bring us into his family through redemption. When, when, this is, when this is true of a person, when they are brought into the family of God, the ability to call God Father as Jesus does belongs to them as, as a new reality and blessing of the new covenant. So we could say it this way, the goal of God's unique son coming into the world was to secure our adoption to enable us to know God as Father. Jesus came to this earth to make us what He is, a child of God. So the, so the fatherhood of God is, is no, no small matter in the life of a Christian who, who in the words of Romans 8.15, has received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The ability to relate God as Father comes as part of the saving work of Jesus. In the words of 1 John 3.1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. 
in order for this reality to take place. The true Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, must be sent to accomplish salvation. The sending of the Son and the Spirit make the reality of adoption possible because the Lord Jesus Christ is the true Son who enables Christians entrance into the family. And by that, we get all of the benefits and privileges of being God's child, namely, the ability to call Him our Father. So let's think for a moment how this truth should change our lives. What are we to do with this information? Firstly, remember who you are. Now, if you are familiar like I am with The Lion King, you'll realize that I'm quoting The Lion King again. Uh, I think at some point, Brianna and I would like to to host a movie night uh, to watch The Lion King to see how many just amazing connections you can make to the story of redemption. We'd love to do that, and Zay would love it as well because it's his favorite movie. But anyway, back to what we should do about this truth. Remember who you are. In the, in the same scene that I mentioned already where Simba is ascending Pride Rock, he's standing up top, and, and the clouds split, we hear the voice of, of James Earl Jones voicing Mufasa, and he simply says, remember. I, I don't have as deep a voice as him, but he says, remember. But what is Simba to remember? He's to remember whose son he is. Now, if you'll indulge me just a tad further... This harkens back to an earlier scene in, in which Simba sees his reflection in the pool and hears again James Earl Jones voicing Mufasa say, You are my son. Now without hopefully taking it too far, this is very similar to, to what takes place at the baptism of Jesus. Where we hear the voice of the Father from heaven say, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is so important for you and I to remember because here we see God the Father expressing pleasure in His Son. You and I need to remember that. If you are in Christ, you need to remember who you are. You are a child of God who because of the work of Christ is a member of God's family. Now, identity is, is big in our culture right now, and, and, and you can identify as, as anything you want. But here is the simple, profound truth of what Galatians 4 is teaching us this morning. If you are a Christian, your identity is child of God. Can you, can you imagine if, if, you, if you just processed that and, and lived like it every day, how, how might your life change? If the primary way that you thought of yourself was child of God, you're not defined by your sin, you're not defined by your past. If you are a Christian, you are not defined by anything else. You are first and foremost God's child. And you need to remember 
that you are God's child. And, and you need to know the pleasure the Father has for His Son, Jesus, and that that pleasure rests on you because you are a child of God by faith in Christ. Knowing that, I, I think you won't need to look for approval anywhere else. And you can live fully devoted to the glory of God. Secondly, remind yourself often of the Father's care for His children. God's fatherly care for you is, is seen in James 1.17. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom... There is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you realize that, that God, in, in His fatherly care for you, is working in, in a thousand different ways in your life that, that you and I are just completely unaware of? He's caring for you right now by holding up the chair you're sitting in. And, and so, yeah, little things like that but also big things like, like having his, his presence with you as you walk through whatever difficulty you might be facing right now. He's with you. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And he is caring for you as a father cares for his children. He's also working in you by his spirit to help you live more like Jesus. Every day you have the privilege of opening His Word and communicating to Him in prayer. Again, you and I can have a relationship with the Creator of the universe. And our relationship is that of a father and a child. And, and since I have become a father, this reality has hit me in a fresh way. If, if I think I want what's best for my son and, and soon-to-be daughter, and that I want to care for them and provide for them, how much more our Heavenly Father, who has no sin in Him, my, my fathering is corrupted by sin, but not so with our Heavenly Father. His care for His children is perfect in every way. And we need to remind ourselves of that truth every day. Thirdly, request things of your Father. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our, our Father tells us to make requests of Him. I wonder if you do that. Are, are you regularly asking God the Father for that which you desire? Now, realize in this, he's not talking about the 1967 Mustang 2 plus 2 fastback with a 390 big block that you've always wanted. He's talking about things that are making you anxious. He's saying, bring those things to me. Those things that are, that are causing you anxiety. And he's saying, don't you realize that I care for you? 
He's asking, what's causing you stress? Pray about it. Talk to to your heavenly Father and trust the promise He has given in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. This is the promise of our Father. That we can go to Him and present our desires, our anxieties to Him. One author said it memorably this way, Pray and let God worry. Pray about it. And trust that God is going to take care of it in a way that is going to be what is best for you and will most glorify Him. The kind of care God has for His children is such that He wants to know about what's going on. And He wants you to know that He will take care of you as you live on this earth. And so what an, what an amazing privilege you and I have to know God as Father. It's made possible only because of Jesus, who has always been God's Son and who makes us God's children by the Spirit. We know the Father through the Son by the Spirit. So may we be faithful to remember who we are. May we remind ourselves daily of God's fatherly care. And may we request things of our Father. One of the ways that we're regularly reminded of God's care for us is through the partaking of communion. Communion is the family meal that God has given to the church. And He's given it to us so that we can see in front of us a picture of the work of Christ. In the bread, as we break, we see the body of Jesus broken. And we're reminded that it is by His stripes that we are healed. In the cup, we see the blood of Jesus poured. And we are reminded that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus' body was broken and His blood was poured out to accomplish the work of redeeming us. To do the work of paying the penalty that, that we owe for sin. And, and you and I could never pay it. But thanks be to God that in Christ Jesus our Lord, He stepped in to do what you and I could not do. And so if your faith is in Him, If you are believing in the work of Jesus on the cross, you're believing that that was sufficient to pay the penalty owed from your sin, you are welcome to the family table. If you are not believing in Jesus, first of all, you need to believe in Jesus. Without faith in Him, the penalty owed by your sin remains on you. So recognize the grace of God in your life that He brought you to this place this morning to hear that there is a way of escape. Realize that that you bring nothing to salvation except the sin that made it necessary and trust that Christ alone can forgive you 
If you would just simply admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you would turn from your old ways and turn to Christ instead. So this small meal that we are about to partake of is for family only. If you're believing in Jesus, you are welcome to partake. If not, I would, I would ask that you would just simply abstain. If you want to talk more about how to trust Jesus, please see me or anyone else, uh, who, somebody you came with this morning, to talk about how exactly it is that you can do that. At this time, though, if you have not already done so, I would invite you forward to uh, grab the little cups of juice and wafer. Uh, so you can come forward if, you not, if, if I'm the only one who hasn't done that. Can somebody bring me one? One of the other privileges that we get by benefit of the work of Christ and becoming children of God is that we get brothers and sisters. And so realize that, that you know, we're all kind of sitting all out here, but, but in a sense we're, we're sitting around the family dinner table as, as we partake of this meal together. That, that you can look around you and see your brothers and sisters in Christ. And know that, that God is caring for them as much as He is caring for you. And, and in that, He's called us to care for one another. That we would be the family of God. Brothers and sisters who, who bear one another's burdens. So that is, again, just one of the benefits gained by uh, the work of Christ and being adopted 
through what he has done. So now that we have the bread in the cup, let's let's pray for both, and then I will read scripture and we will uh, partake together. So let's pray. Father, what a, a privilege it is to gather as your family here this morning. We're thankful for, for those that you've placed around us, and that we can call them brothers and sisters. We ask that, that you would be with us as we eat the bread and drink the cup. We ask that you would strengthen our faith by this meal, and that you would help us to consider its significance as we partake. We're thankful for the work of Christ pictured before us, pictured before us in, in the bread and the cup, and ask that you would help us to trust him alone for salvation. We're thankful for the work that he has done on our behalf, and we pray that you would just bring it to memory often, especially the fact that, that we are your children who are under your fatherly care. Be glorified in the rest of our time and help us to keep our eyes fixed on you as we go from this place. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we say, Amen and Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> 